0: Evelyn, and I'm
1: a geoholic. Hello, geoholics, and welcome to Bad Elf's Point of Beginning, a segment specially crafted for the consumption of geospatial news, history, and technology. We hope you enjoy the content and perhaps even learn something. My name is Dr. Nick Smolovsky. I'm a geoholic, and I'm here to be your geospatial guide. According to the United States Geological Survey, and NASA, July 23rd, 2022, marked the 50-year anniversary of Landsat. Yes, you heard me correctly, Landsat is a half a century old. Holy cow, Batman. Even if you have no idea what Landsat is, there's a very good chance that you have used the data derived from the space-based Earth Observation Programme. Conducted jointly by the USGS and NASA, the program has been providing continuous records of the Earth's surface while also boasting a 50-year archive available to the public for free. Since 1972, the mission of Landsat has been to provide the best remote-sense data for the classification of public lands and the examination of the national domain. Since its inception, there has been nine total satellites sent into space, most recently in September 2021. Each satellite boasts a plethora of sensors able to operate in both the visible and non-visible spectrums of light, giving the eye in the sky some remarkable powers. Whether monitoring global forest canopy coverage, riparian delineations, or human impact on the environment, Landsat does it all. With that being said, thank you Landsat team for your tireless work and amazing scientific deliverables. 50 years is quite an achievement. Us geoholics appreciate it. Thank you you have any questions or comments about today's pob segment please reach out to me via linkedin or through the geoholics channels and that does it for us at b2 studios in sunny texas live long and prosper my friends
2: it's not a bad song to yeah. kick things off
3: with
4: yeah, i, I gotta be honest yeah. with you
3: What what say you guys? I think it's awesome.
2: It's the greatest. It's the greatest? The number Number one. Hold on a second. How can this, how can anybody say there's a number one song? Your opinion is it's number one.
0: Well, there's opinion and there's fact, and people are allowed to have opinions on a great myriad of topics. (laughs) But there are some things that are just facts.
3: Just facts. Yeah. So what you're saying is, in my opinion, two plus two is five. Which is why you can be so resolute in saying that Freebird is the number one song, even though it's not.
0: Well, 2 plus 2 can equal 5. 2 <sighs> plus 2 in a Here base 10 mathematical system is 4. But if you change the base mm. of those integers, it can equal 5.
3: So for those of you who are listening to this podcast, Mm. I would grab a stiff drink, because this is where it's going. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Welcome, David Pounders. Uh, David, welcome to the show, buddy. Well, thanks for having
0: me. Yeah, this
2: is kind of a spur-of-the-moment thing, a little bit different than our normal show. Normally, to be honest with you, I've kind of got a script and an agenda and all that stuff, just because my mind thinks that way. I'm incredibly structured. Mostly too structured, some would say. But uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. We're just going to wing this one.
3: No, if you were too structured, you have to yeah. stick up your butt. You don't.
2: I do not have You're that. Due. I do not have that.
0: Well, no. I appreciate the unstructured. I'm the most unstructured engineer you'll ever meet in your life. <laughs> I prefer no agenda. I prefer... Nothing, just winging it all the time.
2: Well, we're going to have fun. We're going to have fun. Before we get into this, i got to tell you about an experience I had this past weekend. Uh, I was up in Prescott Valley visiting okay. my mom for a couple days. Oh. Hadn't seen her in a while. Great visit. You know, we always, I don't know, make the rounds, hit the breweries we like and stuff like that. We were driving through the square of Prescott. Yep. You know, super cool. Love that place. And there's this guy sitting out. He's out there all the time, apparently. He's sitting out there in his pickup truck, and it says, Flat Earth flat, all over it, flat earth, flat earth. And I stopped and I had a couple of beers in me at that point, you know, and I stopped and I'm like, I have to go talk to this guy. I'm like being a surveyor.
4: Yeah. Are you I'm a like, surveyor I'm like, i like, I have to
2: understand or get a grip on this guy's uh, perspective. So I walk up to him, you know, kind of an older guy, you know, didn't look very healthy, you know, just – straggly, blah, blah, blah. It's got a dog in the back seat, back windows down. I walk up and the dog just, rah, 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 I thought I was going to jump out of the window and like tear me apart. Right. <laughs> so I, I, it scares him. I'm not going you know, I'm not going to his door or whatever. I'm like, so, I'd like to talk to you if you don't mind. And the dog's just going crazy, going crazy. So he rolls up the back window, right? Mm-hmm. The dog's foot gets stuck in the back window. <laughs> the dog is yelping like, <laughs> you, raw, raw, raw. he's like, motherfucker. He opens the door to his truck. He's so pissed. He's like, Muff. he's like, fuck. Just going off on me. I'm like, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. And this is sad, but he had a kind of catheter, right? Oh. So, uh. But he, when he jumped out of the truck, it obviously came out of its port. So his catheter tube is hanging down. There's piss. All going all over the place and stuff. And I'm like, what have I just done? And he's like, here, take this and get the fuck out of here. So he gives me this Did you know the Earth is flat flyer?
3: No Uh, way. Yes. yes. He
2: spent money. That looks pretty good product. It's not bad. And he, he also is a non believer in NASA. That's kind of a byproduct of this. Oh, God. So there are some good things on here, like top 10 flat Earth proofs. Water is a natural level. No curvature is ever detected over bodies of water. All liquids, when undisturbed, are flawlessly flat. Airplane-level flights. Science says it's stationary. Horizon. You know, he's saying, like, if you stand here and you look towards Flagstaff, you can see almost see Flagstaff. If the Earth had a curve in it, there's no way in hell you could see Flagstaff. Mm-hmm. I just, out of his mind, out of his yeah. mind. But my mom and, you know, they're in the car cracking up, and uh, <laughs> it was freaking hilarious. <laughs> what have I done? But anyways, I got I guess some good literature. We'll share. No, that's, that's awesome. Good.
4: Good, good, I, good. Sorry, yeah. went
2: off on a tangent there. No. What What, what do you think, Mr. Pounders? Um, is the Earth flat?
0: The Earth is flat in spots.
2: In yes. spots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in general.
0: In general, the Earth is a globe. Is yes. a globe. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Mark Taylor, so, please tell me you're not in the flat Earth or group.
0: You can compartmentalize.
3: So w- when I went up in Blue Origin with Jeff, because Jeff and I are buddies, mm. um, I saw a cube. I didn't see a sphere That's from space. Cube. So, you know, I'm a cubist. Now, oh, were you man.
0: actually in the Blue Origin or were you holding a Blue Origin type? No, object? I spent
3: $475,000 to sit in a seat for 36 minutes. And he was not holding not really his own seat. Blue Origin. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, no, so yes. funny! So no. funny. I, so, I believe that the well, I have that argument every day, as I've said on um, previous podcasts. And, I yes. mean, let's
4: talk
0: about Blue Origin for a second. Okay. Right? Let's do it. Did anybody ever say anything to Jeff about the shape of that rocket? Like, was it discussed, mm-hmm. or was it in a never spoke on topic? Was that a mutual decision did they be like ah oh, it kind of looks like that but nobody say anything or it kind of looks like that we think that's cool or yeah. did nobody just not dare ever say anything to I think
3: about it's it. an f u to branson It could be. Yeah, it could be. I'm flying be. a giant penis. <laughs> so, but so you
2: say conscious decision.
3: I think it's a conscious decision. Okay. Uh, yes. I,
2: I, I think it's all about aerodynamics for sure. It has to be. Has well to there's be. no need to be
3: aerodynamics. That shape is
2: you know, bulleting through the atmosphere. I yeah. think that I think the whole thing works, like, it's, it's shaped that way for a reason. Just like, you know, yeah. it's shaped that way for a reason.
3: Yeah, I guess. I guess. We'll have to talk to Jeff's wife. <laughs> Get her opinion. Is it, a, is it an accurate is fact, Kimberly? Yes. For a multi-billionaire, is that uh, what it looks like?
2: Have you heard of that? I think I may have brought it up on the podcast before. There is this woman. I mean, she's, like, in her 70s now. But back, like, in the classic rock days, her thing was she made castings of rock stars' penises. Ooh. And there's wow. like a there's like a museum of all these
0: castings wow. of wow. Rockstar star Now, are any of them a match to the Blue Origin? Uh, I
2: don't know. I think you'll find a lot of similarities,
0: though, <laughs> <laughs> for sure.
2: <laughs> so, Mister Taylor, good to have you yes. back. It's been a few Thank weeks you. since yeah. you've been on.
3: Yeah, had a lot going on. What's new with you? Oh, installing security cameras on Connex boxes on a ladder in the rain mm. was fun today. Wow! Yes.
2: Can't you hire people to do that?
3: I can, but. You know, they were busy. busy. They were busy. They were working. (laughs) Yes. Uh, People thought I was working on my tan today. Mm. Um, Not a good day for that. No, it wasn't. Yes. And I was in Mesa. So Mm. it had a rainstorm come through, so it's been cleansed today. Mm -hmm. How many days has it been since we had rain? (coughs) 200 or something?
2: Uh yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, for sure. We've seen quite a bit of rain. This monsoon season has been pretty active.
3: Yeah, it's been good. And ninety-five degree with fifty-five percent humidity when you're not used to it is a good thing. That humidity,
2: ugh, I hate it. Gross. Yep, yep. So uh, David Pounders, mm-hmm. again, thank you for being here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where where did, where does David Pounders come from?
0: Well, I was born in Northern New Mexico. Gotcha. I'm sorry. <laughs> Actually, there's one <laughs> little spot of northern New Mexico. It, like, has four seasons, and it's green. It's, it's really pretty. Nice. Farmington, yeah. Farmington. Oh, I have yeah. heard a lot Farmington, of good things yeah. about Farmington.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Not a whole lot good about the rest of the state, but Farmington, I would agree. Yeah.
4: Except
3: for fireworks. Fireworks? That's where you get the really big fireworks. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that what they're known for? hmm Interesting. Well, you can
0: get them in the south, too. In hmm. Lordsburg or Deming. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah. 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 Yep. We, the big M80s and... Yeah, I, I cool. can
0: neither confirm nor deny <laughs> trips to there <laughs> yes, when you are a kid. I have, yes, yeah. When I was a kid, yeah. yeah. Not oh, okay. when I had
3: kids. <laughs> that would not be appropriate. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to
0: admit to any misdemeanors or felonies of bringing uh, <laughs> fireworks that may or may not be uh, legal in funny. the state um, back. Uh, so yes, but anyway, I didn't get to live there long. Uh, My dad worked for APS, so he traveled around a little bit. He was at the Four Corners uh, power plant, and then um, he came over here to Arizona. Um, I was, I guess, two or three. Okay. And um, we ended up finally in Mesa around 89 and been here ever since. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm -hmm.
2: Now, you are a professional engineer. Mm -hmm. Is that on the civil side or what's your specialty?
0: Yeah, civil Civil engineering. When I was going to school, I Mm -hmm. focused on um, water distribution and environmental. Okay. And then I've kind of spent a little bit of my career around there, dabbled in some structural and and, and different things. And,
2: uh, you know. Cool. So once you get the PE, do you, you have to specialize in something like you're a civil PE or you're a structural PE or you're...
0: Uh, not really. No. So the civil PE, there's a lot that comes under civil. Um, so when you take your civil PE exam, uh, the first half is the same for every civil engineer. Mm-hmm. And then the second half is different. There's like five different categories. Interesting. Um, but that doesn't like go with your stamp really. Okay. It's just civil is so broad and the education is so broad. They want the test to... To be fair, mm-hmm. um, the only variation to that is if you go and you take the structural exam, separate structural exam, Gotcha. you can get a civil structural stamp. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, all the all the civil stamps, at least in Arizona, just say civil. Mm. Um, but you could have taken a lot of different exams, you know, mm-hmm. a project management in you know, or construction management exam. I took uh water resources and environmental you can take transportation okay. you can take geotech all, all kinds of different cool things but your stamp just says civil unless you're one of those special guys and you take the structural exam now you get a second stamp that says mm-hmm. structural so got it
2: got it wow I, I like that model really yeah like I almost we've talked about it a number of times in the show but I, I, I kind of can see a survey model like that like you get your you know your ls certificate mm-hmm. but then you get or stamp license what have you and then you get a certificate to specialize in certain things like you specialize in alta surveys or you specialize in
3: what article yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah i kind of like that idea yeah i think that and that gives you a honed <coughs> in specialty like when i was in mortgages you could do residential mortgages and then you had a ccm which was very very in-depth which is commercial mm. but then you also could do you had to be licensed to do reverse mortgages which was helping uh, older people and and um, then you had uh, certifi- certification for construction. But yep. these were not federally mandated, but there were things that I would have I earned mm-hmm. to give me more validity even though anyone could sell a construction loan. I go, do you want to work with a guy who's done one or do you want to work with a guy that understands draw schedules and right. one-time construction? So I, I really do. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that. Thanks. I think we should have that in there. Drone space too.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and it's yeah. not super regulated, which helps, but you can get yourself into trouble. No. Like I can seal a geotechnical report. Um but if I seal a geotechnical report and something goes wrong and I end up in court, they're gonna be like, All right, mm-hmm. that's cool. You used your civil stamp to seal a geotechnical report. Yep. Explain to us how you had the training and expertise to seal that report. And if I'm like, uh I just mm. did it because somebody asked me to and I thought it would be cool. Yep. Yeah, you're in trouble. You're so, but if yeah. you're like, oh, okay, well, I you know, I spent three years in a geotechnical firm, and these are all the different kind of projects that I worked on, mm-hmm. and they're like, all right, cool, yeah. Yeah, within your scope. Yeah,
3: you're yeah, not acting your without right. your scope.
0: So yeah. although I can stamp a lot of different things, there's only a smaller selection, smaller subset that I will stamp because I believe I have the expertise to stamp that. Otherwise, I'm like, no, you, you, yeah. I'll get another engineer that – has that expertise, we both have the same stamp, but he'll stamp it and I won't.
3: Wouldn't wouldn't it be more prudent from a business side to only stamp the work you self-performed and not someone else's, so it'd be defensible on on all cases? Or can you read a report and look at the summary and the scope and go, actually, they did everything correct and I could sign off on it, like an audit, does that make sense? Um,
0: that's kind of a grayish area too. Okay. You're really supposed to perform the work that you mm. stamp or directly supervise the work that you stamp. Okay. So if I have an employee that I directly supervise and they did the work, I can, I can review and stamp. But if it's like some engineer that he's just like, hey, I did this project. You had no prior knowledge. You weren't involved in it at all. Um, but I want you to review and stamp. That's not really allowed. Mm.
4: Okay. So
0: you have to have had direct knowledge of the project and work directly on the project mm-hmm. to to really stamp it. Um, you know, is somebody going to come after you? Maybe, but, you know, probably not. But if there, there's a lot of things in the engineering industry that are kind of like, you know, gentlemen's rules anyway. Although, mm. although I'm sure there is some kind of law or regulation. Just, sure, yeah, you, you're you not going to violate that. right? Right. So. No, I don't, I don't review and stamp other the people's work that I wasn't directly in, involved in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. And it's the old uh, stay in your lane thing, you know? Yeah. And in all three of our respective professions, I think we can relate to that where, you know, somebody may take on a project that they just don't have any business taking on. hmm You know, stay in your lane keeps you out of trouble that way.
3: Yeah. yeah. Like so. me measuring a point on the ground and pretending to be a surveyor.
4: Yeah. Mm.
2: But you <laughs> yes. did stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night.
3: I did. <laughs> yes. Oh you, my watched, God. <laughs> you watched
2: all of uh, Rami Tamimi's uh, YouTube videos about surveying. <laughs>
3: oh, my gosh. All 2,700 of them. <laughs> yes. In 15 minutes, I sped them up at five times speed. Yes. I'm more than qualified now. Which, yeah. I, you know, you said
2: I'll spin this, I, I, trust me, I go off topic all the time. You said, you know, I, you sped it up and watch it all in 15 mm-hmm. minutes. There's something about that. When I'm listening to like audiobooks or something, you mm-hmm. speed it up to like one and a half times or oh, whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, I feel so much more efficient right now. This is incredible. <laughs> 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 I'm like, I wish I could do that with my day, you know. Just yeah. Hit
3: it yeah. right. Uh, <coughs> actually, I don't. You know what I think is uh, one of God's cruel jokes is as a child, making time be really, really slow. Mm. But as you get older, have you noticed, I, I someone stole January, February, and March from me. I have no idea oh, where so they went. Amazing. Why yeah. can't we oh, slow down go. so we can be more productive? And as children, be super quick so you're not staring at the clock, bored oh. at the French lesson. I actually
0: heard a really good explanation as to why that is. Okay, I'm interested. The more time that passes, the more time of reference your brain has, right? So oh, yeah. when you're yeah. 10, mm. something that takes a year that's a 10th of your life, right? Mm-hmm. So your brain processes it as much more time than it actually is. Versus if you're a hundred, a year is 100th of your life. Your brain sees that in a different frame of reference. Yeah. So that's why it feels like time passes faster the older that you get because <laughs> your brain has more to reference it to. It's a, greater, it's a lesser percentage of your total time. And so that's why it seems to feel like it. That's how somebody explained it. I, I don't Ladies know. Ladies and gentlemen, Stephen
3: Hawking is in the house. <laughs> oh my God. I'm like, and black uh, holes great. figure into this with uh, wormholes? And okay, cool. <laughs> but Dude, that's they, genius, actually. It really
2: is. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I, I wish I would have come up with it, to
3: be honest with you. So uh, hang on a minute. Another yeah. question on that is if a train leaves Boston at nine <laughs> o'clock, <laughs> and a train is leaving Chicago. Well, depending How, uh, if you're the observer or oh. you're
0: on the train, right? That's what Einstein said, right? <laughs> That's great. Okay. And it's I, like, <laughs> I, I mean, I have a hard
2: enough time figuring out what time zone we're in half the time. Are we in mountain time? Or are we in Pacific time? What is the deal? You know, it's, Well,
0: that won't be a problem next year. Yeah, what happens changing. next year? Fall of next year, the yeah. U.S. gets rid of daylight.
2: Nobody is going to change. Nobody's going. Oh, change. I mean, it's I heard over. about that. I didn't realize it was going to happen so it's fast. Over. How yeah. they make that happen so fast? It takes the government, you know, ten years to make a decision, but yet they can change the time and in like six months.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. Meanwhile, we're over here measuring things in slugs, right? <laughs> <laughs>
2: And of course, we have US feet. We have international feet. Right. I mean, don't forget meters.
3: God. I actually did a survey of meters the You make
0: things so difficult. What? Don't when? forget international tons versus yes, US Metro. tons. I did yeah.
3: not know that. And the US gallon is smaller than the European gallon. Yes.
2: Interesting. What's tell me about the ton thing? I did not even know 20, anything about that. Twenty
0: fifty tons okay. is the international. US is two thousand. Two thousand. Yep. But why they're saying, hey, well, we have <laughs> this international. of tons and it's 2050 pounds like it's our international measurement and we're using your u.s and Mm. we're making it slightly different i don't i don't know how that came about the only reason why i even figured that out is i was working doing uh, landfill work in australia And, you know, my numbers kept coming up off. And they're like, oh, no, this is metric. Peter,
3: if you're listening to this, (laughs) please respond. We need to know. Is that because you get a free koala (laughs) with every ton? Or is it the metric versus the Australian?
0: That's the 50 pounds. Uh, You get 50 50 pounds of, but you don't get the koala. You just get the koala meat. Oh, right. Interesting. You can't own a koala, but you can. Eat one. You, yeah, yeah, you can. Sure. That's true.
3: <laughs> Although, Peter, who uh, we love, the survey girl, she's uh, always listening, and she'll probably have a comment about that. I'm mm. sure she will. Yes. Next
2: time we have her on, we'll clarify.
3: Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I think knowing Peter, she'll be already clarifying <laughs> on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram. She'll be uh, uh, hammering uh, us. It, you bastards. Uh, yeah, you no, know, there's an
0: interesting theory about Peter, that Peter is actually not an animal rights organization.
3: Oh, my God. Here we go. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, Stephen Hawkins is back. This made a
0: lot of sense to me.
3: (laughs) Okay. All right. PETA is a human being, by the way. She's a female. In this case. In
0: this this case. case. No, but that just reminded me. Oh, okay. Cool. Bring it on. Tangent time. (laughs) We're talking about eating koalas, so. All right. Britney Spears is coming out now. Yeah. (laughs) So, the extreme stance of PETA, Mm -hmm. some people believe that a person can't be that extreme. So, They say, well, PETA is actually run by um, people who are against, you know, that. But they show so extreme to bring invalidity to the animal rights movement. So PETA is run by people who are against the animal rights movement to make them look like wackos, the extreme (laughs) version, right? So the most extreme people in PETA are not animal rights activists. They're trying to, you know distract and say all right look how crazy these people are oh my so, god
2: that's,
4: all i know oh, is a dingo stole uh, my baby <laughs> <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my gosh you know back to the time thing i, I that's an interesting conversation i want to circle back on it. um why is it i wonder why if you're doing certain things time goes by much faster or much slower depending on that thing you know i mean i, I
3: I think when I look at stuff with the time, I think it's the amount of brain power I'm using. If I'm using a lot of brain power, time flies. If I'm not, then everything seems to be in Mm slow-mo. So I'm constantly trying to find things that don't occupy a lot of my brain power. Yeah. And I'm struggling with that because I'm not very smart.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And the one one thing that I'm going to use as an example is I've been doing this reset thing, you know, with the infrared Mm -hmm. sauna and the cold plunge and stuff like that. When I'm in the infrared... By the way,
3: you look fabulous.
2: Thank you. You really do Tell it. I look five years younger. Mm, I think it's doing seven. wonders for my skin. It is um, so it is. in the in the infrared sauna. You know, I'm sitting there for 15 minutes, and it's like a lifetime. I go in the cold plunge, and five minutes goes by like 30 seconds. <laughs> Getting out of
3: this, <laughs> like, yeah. like I don't get it. Like <laughs> it's the craziest thing,
2: craziest thing. But again, off tangent. It's totally Sorry off tangent.
3: That. It's okay. Um, so, so yes.
2: Mark, being in the mortgage, yes. Industry, um, tell us about the the latest uptick by the Feds. What is that doing to people?
3: Um, so, I, I think what people need to understand is there there's two or three major things going on with the mortgage market, and they're for good reason. Um, one is the the individuals out in the marketplace that will continue to fuel the market are the people that are first-time home buyers, people that are trying to get out of rentals because they're so expensive and they may not be the best prepared uh, and need help with credit. The challenge is that the Fed was financed for so long uh, and guaranteed by the US <coughs> government that the pool of mortgages are so good and people had s- have such good credit The cost of delivering a mortgage now is being disincentivized to deliver to Fannie and Freddie. Their fees are through the roof. And they don't really need to lower rates to incentivize and increase the pool. They've got a lot of, uh, so the down payment assistance programs have gone. The um, mortgage insurance is restrictive. The, The quality of loans needs to be so much higher And the fact that prices have gone up so much with interest rates. When I started in the mortgage business, it was eight percent. You know, and we've all got stories about grandpa and grandma paying eighteen percent. Well, it was on thirty grand, but they only made twenty five thousand. So it's all relative, right? Um, The market. uh, What's happened in the market right now in Phoenix in the last week, which is astronomical. We are now the fastest growing listing market in the U.S. We've gone from two days' supply to three months' supply. We've got 15,500 homes on the market. But what's staggering is it's 58% investor. And the investors are the key to the market, what's really going on with the market. So why would they sell their houses? So there's two things going on. You've got me as an investor who's like, holy crap, the stock market's in the toilet. Um, Safe Haven is moving to interest rates, but we're still not a AAA rated uh, country, but I'd rather have the cash to invest when the market bottoms out so I can fuel the stock market's uh, recovery. I'm, cash is king, right? And then you've got your REITs. Your REITs are looking at it and going, hey, we, we have far exceeded our rate of return for our investors on our REITs. We've far surpassed our guaranteed prospectus, and we've just lost 16% in a week. We're, we're bailing. Mm. And those properties haven't hit the market yet. They're starting to. So we've got a flood of inventory, which meets everything. All the economists say the difference between 2008 and now is that we have a stable mortgage environment. We don't have fake loans. We don't have million-dollar homes sold to people that make 20, 20 bucks an hour, right? Yeah, And we have really, really solid pools of mortgages. So the banks aren't worried about it. But... Um, We have enough demand in Arizona, but not in other states. So apparently we still have 520 people a day moving into Arizona. They're being funded to move into Arizona. Um, We've got all these homes that will equalize, but sellers are freaking out because they're not getting any showings in 30 days, whereas the house sold in two days, right? Well, that's a normal market at 6%. When we should be worried is if, take my house, it's worth 850 currently, if it drops to 500, I might have a little bit of a problem with that. But the chances of it dropping that far are uh-huh. pretty remote. So it's probably <coughs> gonna stabilize around five, you know, 675 or something. Still great, if you look year on year, it's still a 30% increase, it's just not the stupid thing. Uh-huh. The best part about the market change is that sellers can sell their home and buyers can buy the home because the buyers aren't having to do what they've been doing for me. I've had to put people in zero down mortgages because they had 40 grand saved or mom and dad were them cash. And that 40 grand went to the the escalation clause because they were in a bidding war. Now they've got the 40 grand for a down payment on a realistic price. And the comps are coming in with the appraisers and you you the seller is asking 700 grand for a $600,000 house. It's going to close at 600 and they're going to have a $40,000 down payment. They're going to have a realistic mortgage. Mm. The problem is of the interest rate. And it's really not an interest rate to be concerned with because people's salaries can cover it in most cases. You're getting the interest rate reduction um, and they just need to make sure they're affordable. And the mortgage system is still protecting those buyers by maintaining affordability. You can't do a 70% back end ratio, which means after you pay taxes, you're still never going to cover the, the mortgage, right? So there's those protections in there. Plus, in Arizona, we have anomalies, unlike Michigan, which has a declining populace. We're we're we've got good people moving in, right. and we have a huge amount of industry moving in. Right. So there's my uh, economics 101, mortgage I love 101. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, you got Mark, Mark Taylor journey. Mortgages.
2: You can call him at blah 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, six zero two three six one seven <laughs> seven seven. Or hire him no, to fly a drone at <laughs> Extreme Aerial Productions.
3: No, deliver your mortgage dogs <laughs> by drone. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, sorry, I've twenty five yeah. year career. I still, I still dabble.
2: Yeah, um, that's awesome. Good information. Appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Sorry, it's oh, really much. good. Really good. Um, David, I want to circle back on something you said earlier. Um, you worked <laughs> in Australia. You know, we made had had some fun with that. Um, And I think we also had a discussion previously that you were, is that part of Engineers Without Borders? Or is is that, I know that's an organization that you have been a part of, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, the uh, work in Australia was for a consulting firm for for solid
3: waste. Okay. Um, You mean poop? No. There, There is other things. Solid waste is, you call it rubbish. Oh, rubbish. Oh, yeah. I've got it. Okay, yeah. sorry. I just
0: yeah. immediately think of poop. <laughs> no, no, it was interesting because, you know, anytime I would have conference calls with the folks over there in Australia, you know, it took me a little while to acclimate, and then I'd, I'd bring in someone, hey, I need you to sit on in this call, and we'd sit there for half an hour, and we'd get off the call, and they're like, ah, I'm glad you invited me, but I have no idea what anybody said on the phone.
3: And it's because like, they're Australian. I, I could not
0: understand a word they said, and it's not just the accent. Right. There's all the different terminology. Oh, the different slang, right? And, yeah. and engineers are very particular about the words that you use mm-hmm. to describe things, and those are all different in Australia.
2: Interesting.
3: Well, you know, there's uh, three koalas to a foot, so, I mean. <laughs> yeah, be well,
2: do you know what they call this? I'm holding up a, a can koozie. A koozie yeah. Koozie, do you yeah. know what they call this? Huh? No. Coldy holder. <laughs> <laughs> this is a coldy holder. <laughs> it makes sense. That's a better name. It makes perfect sense. Yes. Yeah. That is a better name. So you guys are going to be calling a coldie holder from here on?
3: No. Guaranteed. I won't, no, Guaranteed. no.
2: So how did, like, how did you get that opportunity? That's pretty cool. For which one? Australia? Well, like work, yeah, doing the work in Australia, yeah.
0: Um, uh, just a boss that I had, he had a client that, you know, had, had moved down there and, yep. you know, they couldn't find a, a consultant to help him out in Australia. So they okay. called over and they said, hey, you guys want to help? The reason
3: that is back in Australia, they're still using tin cans with string as a telecommunication device. (laughs) Sorry, I can say that because I'm British and it was a penal Uh, colony for many years. (laughs) Sorry, Peter.
2: Oh my gosh. (laughs) Do you guys have the Loch Ness Monster in uh, the UK? In Scotland. Oh, Oh, it's in Scotland. Yeah, there you go. Do you believe in that?
3: Yes, of course I do. (laughs) That's <laughs> where I get my tablet and my scotch, man. Jeez. You know, I saw
0: an article the other day right. describing the Loch Ness monster, and they were saying, "Hey, modern science has proven that it—you know—it is possible that this kind of
3: creature existed." Exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I didn't read the article, but I saw the article. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
3: it was from the same guy from Prescott and <laughs> Flat Earth, and that NASA doesn't exist. Yes. Yeah. No. Uh, that's um, great.
2: Well, there's Bigfoot, too, of course. I do believe in Bigfoot. Loch Ness right. Monster, I'm not 100%. Bigfoot,
0: 100%. Yeah. 100%. I've had run ins. So. I
2: have too. Really? We are going to have to have a conversation. Yes. When I was 10 years old, I saw Bigfoot.
0: Really? Yes. Where at? Uh, Northern Wisconsin. Northern Wisconsin. Yep. Okay. Bigfoot yep. is all over the place. Really? I saw Bigfoot here in Arizona. No kidding. On Mount Baldy. I didn't see Bigfoot, but I saw Bigfoot's footprint.
4: Mm. It
0: was a it was a bona fide Bigfoot footprint. Interesting. You were obviously, following
3: my son. Interesting. Yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Colin must have been out there. <laughs> Love
2: you, Colin. Uh, that's awesome.
4: Yeah.
2: Um, but uh, back on a serious note, for at least a couple of minutes, uh, engineering without borders. That's engineers without yeah. borders. That is something you've been involved with, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And talk about that organization or you know that uh, that group just a little bit.
0: So. Um, I'm a fluent Spanish speaker, and I had this opportunity to go down to Ecuador with Engineers Without Borders. I was just finishing my senior year at ASU. Nice. They were looking for a construction manager, and um, you know, saw that opportunity, and you know, went down there with uh, my my laptop and all my books from school and some survey equipment, and I uh, was like, all right, let's go do some stuff. And I had a backpack full of cash, and you know, that's awesome. Yeah, it, it was kind of like use the, the wild. For
3: you're in Ecuador. Supplies. Oh, okay. Plum I'm just, I'm just checking.
0: So I got there, and um, there was this town called Puyo. Okay? That was the nearest town. It was a two-and-a-half-hour bus ride away from the little village where we were working. Mm. And so I went in to uh, the biggest hardware store I could find, which is about a quarter of the size of an Ace Hardware. Here. Right. And, and I walked in, and I, and I pulled a stack of cash. It was about 3000 American dollars. I set it on the table. I said, I want to spend all this money here. I said, but you need to sell everything to me for cost plus five percent. And I was like, "All right, deal." Huh. So that's wow. what we did, and awesome. and he scrapped and he <laughs> found everything you know that we needed, specialty stuff that he didn't have. He, yeah. you know, he he'd go and you know it, it was a great experience. He was a, he was a fun guy. We we got along really well. What and, were you building? So the year previous, they had repaired a dam. There was about a. a a thousand meters up into the jungle it was up kind of up on the hill and uh so the dam was working fine but it was a, this little inch and a half pvc line um that came down to the village to an old cistern type system that was installed in the 70s well this inch and a half line was it was leaking everywhere <laughs> and you know they were constantly repairing it so we replaced that line with a four inch line from the dam down to uh down to the village, and then we put in a a 1,500-liter purification system with a sand filter at at the health center, and then we replaced all the distribution pipe within the village. Nice. So we put in about 2,500 meters worth of pipe. How long were you there?
3: That's a pretty good-sized project. Nine weeks. Nine weeks. Could you translate 2,500 meters for Kent, please?
2: Mm, times times it by three (laughs) it's over a mile there you
3: go it is over a mile (laughs) yeah Yeah. nice yeah
2: oh that's funny uh what a cool experience so like was it like how many people were part of that that particular project
0: so um, me and another construction manager went down three weeks early um to kind of get everything set up and then we had a team of about 15 students from asu show up and then you know when we got there the reason why i went early you know i knew the language and all that and was to talk with the villagers and be like hey um we're bringing some manpower but not enough because Mm -hmm. that trench Mm -hmm. had to be hand dug Oh, oh yeah so we're like all right well organizing all the efforts come on we're gonna we're gonna dig this trench and so you know got them all ready to go and you know, it took about two weeks for us to get everything situated. We had to go out and resurvey it all and and modify the design and all right. that. And so uh, after that, we had a week left. So I decided to go over and, and substitute teach at the little high school that they had. Um, so they would send people from all over the jungle came and lived here during the school year. Oh, well. oh so wow. So it was like okay. a 50-person village that swelled to 300 during the school year. <laughs> oh, oh, good great. And they all just, like, lived in, like, random places, like, random, like, you know, huts out in, in the jungle. Right. Some would live and sleep on people's floors, you know. It, it was kind of so weird. How many right.
3: villages were eaten by jaguars?
0: <laughs> I don't know if there's jaguars there.
3: <laughs> it's a jaguar.
0: Oh. Jaguar. <laughs> Not Jaguar. That's the I don't
3: drive a Jaguar. <laughs> I drive a Jaguar. Okay. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I'd like to bet a Jaguar. Uh, yes. uh,
4: yeah.
0: no. The the mascot of the high school, though, mm-hmm. was Sansa. Sansa. Which is the schwar word for oh. shrunken head. Oh. oh. So it was shrunken cool. head high school because that tribe actually mm-hmm. shrunk people's heads. Or April's nickname for Mark. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> for those listening, it's because I use it a lot. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Ken. The blue origin.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I'm getting off topic again, but I just looked down. So A lot of you listening know that Mark Taylor has had struggles with his foot for a long time now. Oh, foot. Okay. Yes, his foot. That's yes. Yes.
3: <laughs> yes, that foot. I didn't know what you were going to say. I didn't know.
2: <laughs> how long has this been going on, first of all? It's over a
3: year. Oh no! It started. 12, I mean, it seems like it's, twelve years ago.
2: But how long have you been like gimping around and? Twelve years. Has it been, it's like as long as I've known you? Yeah. You've been dealing with this. Mm-hmm. So that makes can, sense. Are you gonna whack it off then? Eventually, the foot.
3: Oh yeah, thank you. I needed that. <laughs> I needed that clarification because for for an engineer that was not very specific. Um,
0: <laughs> we're winging it. Remember? Yeah, we're one? winging it.
3: Yes, thank you. Um, I did go in and and. Uh, Volunteered to have it amputated about eight years ago, and that's when they went in and found where the staph infection had gone into the top part of the bone, because I was healed, (coughs) but I would keep expressing fluid from where the bolt holes were from the external fixator that they used to put my Mm -hmm. leg back together, because I had a spiral tidbit fracture after a (laughs) major surgery, and... um, I said I, I was done because I always tell the story. I was with my wife in PV mall and uh, um, she begged me in the summer to wear shorts and I was very embarrassed about my leg and it's all barred and scarred up. And I wore shorts and um, I, this little girl ran up behind me and tugged on the back of my T-shirt and said, excuse me, mister, but you're bleeding. Oh. And I turned around the little drops of blood from mm. where a bolt <coughs> hole was as an indentation in the tissue. It's horrible. And... Um, I just lost it. I was crying and just so embarrassed. And, and yeah. my wife got went and bought a towel and I cleaned up the floor. <laughs> and I checked myself into the surgeon and said, hey, it's time. Let's chop it off. So I had to go to therapy and talk to a couple of men men's group and go through that process. And realized that I was the only one volunteering to do it. Everyone was there talking about how wonderful their prosthetic was because they'd lost it in a car crash. Or they were a oh. police officer or military. And... But then when you actually talk to them outside of the group, they're like, don't do it. Really? It's Mm. a bitch. Don't do it. And, and, you know, I was grateful for the advice. And uh, the vanity wasn't there. I just wanted to run again. I mean, that's my clarity, my peace. Run five miles a day. That's how the whole thing started. So Mm. flash forward to today. (coughs) I've kept it. And um, this, hopefully, is the very last surgery. I sure hope so. I'm tired of it.
2: I'm sure you are. And I looked down at your foot. And this is why I brought this up. I know you've had a shit ton of surgeries on it. Yeah. It's, you know, this is going to, it's going to be funny, but it now comes to a point. Like I'm looking at it, like, have you had that much carved off of it that it's now like. No, it's there. Oh, okay. It's, there you go. It's, it's there.
3: Kent's looking at my bandage all twisted up. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No, it's
2: like it's, a, like an elf foot kind of.
3: Well, it's an 11 and a half. It used to be a 13. <laughs> yes. So that just tells you how much has been removed and how many bones. So I'm not wrong. It, it, it's shrinking. Oh, yeah. It's it's shrunk. Uh, But it's been added to my belly. So (laughs) it's probably all the (laughs) bourbon I'm drinking or the lack of exercise. But thanks. Now I'm really self-conscious and I'm blushing.
2: You are the Mm -hmm. least self-conscious person in the world. (laughs) So I know that's not true.
1: I know that's not true.
2: Um, So, David, uh, you're also in the service, right? Mm -hmm. In which branch of the service? I'm in the Army National Guard. Okay, thank you. Thank you for your service. Well, thank you. For that. And uh, how much of your engineering expertise
0: do you put? Do you apply to that? All of it. All of it? All of it. Awesome. Talk yeah. about that. So when I decided to come in, so I, I had dabbled with it for a long time. Um, and uh, just the time was never right. Time was never right. And then finally, uh, when I graduated from asu i was kind of a late bloomer i guess i was you know 27 28 when i graduated finally um i was like all right well i i just graduated you know i i got my first job right and uh i bought a house and just had twins mm. so wow. my twins were 13 days old oh and, my gosh. Um, yeah. Why not? Oh, well, isn't that the perfect time to <laughs> yeah. go to basic training? Yeah. You know, you, you just finally started it. It took me two years to get a job after graduating from college because I graduated with a civil engineering degree in 2009. Oh, and I gosh. was competing for entry level jobs with PEs. Yeah. So I just started kind of my own little business drafting, you know, uh, doing stuff for architects and cabinet shops and whatever. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever I could do to, to get by. And then, and then the market started to turn a little bit. And that's when I uh, finally got my first job working in the solid waste industry with rubbish.
3: Rubbish. Thank you. Again, yeah. <laughs> kind a of clarification. Okay. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, then I, I decided it was time and, and I wanted to uh, go to officer candidate school. So I went to basic training. And then um, the idea was I was going to be a Blackhawk pilot. Mm. And, and that's what I had decided I was going to do. Um, but. Through the course of the leadership training and, and, and kind of seeing how that was going and uh, seeing junior soldiers and, and how they were being treated by their leadership, um, I looked at that and I said, Well, you can almost teach anybody to, you know, a generally smart person to be a Black Hawk pilot. There's plenty of people who want to be pilots, huge waiting list. Sure. They don't need Black Hawk pilots. They got plenty, Mm -hmm. Um, but people who care about their soldiers, people who were doing it for the right reason, there seemed to be a deficit to me. All right, so I said, "All right, I'm an engineer. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be an engineer in the army." Then, Um, against everybody's advice, because they said, "Well, if you're if you're an engineer, you know, on the civilian side, you got to do something different because you're gonna get bored." Like, well, I like being an engineer and. I think I'm fairly good at it. Right. So why would I not want to bring those skills to the army? Mm. Right. So I, I branched engineer and then it, then uh, when you become a captain, you go to something called captain's career course where you can kind of branch out and learn more. And, and you usually pick up a second branch. I'm like, well become logistics because if you want to get promoted, become a logistics officer, you can do all this. And I'm like, nah, Ah. double down engineer. So Hmm. I went to engineer captain's career course too. Oh, wow. Um, And so all of that, I feel like has served me really well. You know, went to Afghanistan and, and built lots of different structures there. Um, And then uh, was the uh, commander of the construction company um, here in the national guard um, that stationed out there in Florence and uh, did a little over two years doing that, you know, during, during COVID and Hmm. we did a lot of great things. We built stuff in the community. We went to, Uh, Oklahoma and built uh, houses on the Cherokee reservation for veterans and um, did a lot of really good fun stuff where I was able to really sink my teeth into uh, the engineering part of it. And um, you know, where I've served, I've always been the only professional engineer with construction experience. Everyone else is, Hey, they're an army trained engineer. Right. Right. So I was able to bring that um, to the point where, you know, when I got to Afghanistan, I was there to run, um, the troop construction program. So their things were built in two ways, either private contractors built it right. or army trained plumbers, electricians, carpenters built things. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, you know, I got to Bagram and said, all right, well, um, I'm an engineer. I have my own consulting company. Um, I know how to build stuff. So just let me build stuff. And they were like, all right. So, they basically gave me carte blanche, and I flew wow. around to Afghanistan for nine months, and we just built stuff and <laughs> had a good time. That's and awesome. What a <laughs> great story. From that, uh, the surveyors that I had there, you know, after I got back from the deployment, I said, all right, hey, we had fun building stuff in Afghanistan, didn't we? They're like, yeah. I'm like, well, let's keep doing that.
4: Huh. Arizona is so, very similar. Arizona <laughs> <Yeah>. is, <laughs> you know, the heat.
0: As a matter of fact, <laughs> Afghanistan <laughs> is Arizona where it is in the latitude, how all the climate Mm -hmm. is. Uh So Bagram is basically like Prescott. Oh,
4: okay. I got you.
0: And, you know, southern Afghanistan, other areas near Kandahar. When I landed in Kandahar the first time, you know, I had to blink because I was like, (laughs) I am in, I'm at Sky Harbor Airport right now. Wow. The mountains look the same. The weeds look the same. The vegetation, everything. (laughs) It was the same hot... You know temperature, yeah. right? And so you know Kandahar was basically Phoenix area. Bagram was like Prescott. Other areas like in in north, uh, eastern Afghanistan were like Flagstaff. Mm. You know there's some fobs there that I was like, I swear I'm in Flagstaff right now. Yeah. So you know, what is Fajula
3: fit in all this? Fallujah. Fallujah. Thank that's you. That's in Iraq. Oh, that's Iraq. Okay. So, well, right. sorry guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: But there was um you know, bunch of different fobs. We went all around and, you know, huh. we built, uh, hotel rooms and we built joint operation centers and we built roads and we built fortifications. And, uh, we did, uh, we did 92 projects in nine months. Wow, in great. That's crazy. So in huh. the unit we replaced, they did 13. Oh my God. So we were, we were there to work and yeah. we did work and they were a hundred hour weeks, but, We had a good time. How many folks were part of that unit? So we had anywhere from 80 to 230 troops at any given time.
2: Crazy. So let me ask you this. I I love talking to people that have been in leadership positions because everyone has a little bit different story. So just talk about some of the techniques or kind of like what your leadership style had evolved into in order to be able to accomplish 90 projects in nine weeks.
0: So, nine months. yeah. Nine months, I'm sorry. Nine months, nine months. To me, there is only one aspect to leadership. And all others are subordinate to that one aspect. And that is extreme ownership, The you know, gives people execute extreme responsibility when they have extreme ownership, right? And keep the decisions (coughs) at the level that they belong at. And I had to train this into my lieutenants where they, they would come to me and they're like, hey, hey, sir, we got a question for you. And I'd have to stop him every time I say, "All right, before you ask me that question, does this does this decision belong at my level or at yours? Mm. Well, mine. That is interesting. Do you need advice? No. Okay. Then I am not interested in what you have to say. If you don't need my advice and the decision doesn't belong at my level, go and execute. So, that is Amen, I, brother.
2: I love that. That is genius.
0: Mm-hmm. So that that's how you know I I ran everything and yeah said, hey, you know, you gotta push all that down to the lowest levels. All of those decisions, all of Mm -hmm. that responsibility you're overall responsible. Sure. Right. But we micromanage way too much.
3: Right? Well not only that, today's youth or today's ecosystem of I'm I'm gonna generalize, but under thirty, if you're in the workplace, you're very anxious to be compensated financially for being responsible for a lot, right? but zero accountability. Right. Your decisions can be blamed on someone else. You have to take ownership. And in the military, they don't allow that. You were given an order, did you execute it? Mm-hmm. To the fullest of my capability, but you didn't perform the mission. Right. You were not capable for it, so you should have passed it on to someone else who was more capable, or you mm-hmm. failed your unit mm-hmm. because you took on something you, you don't want to be accountable for. Um, and that's the problem I have today is everybody wants to be responsible for everything, but accountable for nothing.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And oh. those are the, the, the doctrine, the question I have for you is the doctrines that you, aside from the stuff you brought in from the outside world, the doctrines that you learned in the military, the chain of command, the decision making, the execution, the, the finite management of the decisions to execute from. Did you learn anything and do you still use them today?
0: Oh, of course, okay. yeah, they they become a part of your identity. Correct, and the military didn't give that to me. Believe it or not, I learned that in the Boy Scouts, mm.
2: in,
0: in the Boy Scouts of America. Now it yep. It changed a little bit. And I was a scoutmaster too. And and that's what I. I bet you were adorable <laughs> in shorts.
3: <laughs> with <laughs> no the high re- socks and <laughs> everything. Oh, yeah. 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 Did you have your um, little, uh, what's that bandana uh, you wear? I forgot. Oh, I used yeah. to be a Cub Scout. Yeah. With, okay. Out of wolf bone and all that or whatever. Yeah. Did right. you
2: get your survey badge?
0: I didn't get survey. No.
3: <laughs> I got two more. <laughs> Nobody, ever gets, no, Nobody, Nobody ever, ever gets a survey badge. Nobody ever gets it. We got to fix that and do a Cub Scout. Thank yes. You yeah. You know what? Anytime. I, yeah. I
0: used to be a merit badge counselor for the really merit badge, but
2: interesting. We have a lot to talk about offline. This is we gonna be did. fun.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, but um, as as a scoutmaster, mm-hmm. um, the first couple months that I was a scoutmaster mm-hmm. was really bad. It was really terrible because I believed in a in a boy led organization. So when they don't know how to do that it's really painful because you got to sit there and you got to watch them really struggle and really fail. And most people can't do that. They have to step in. They have to change. I was like, no. And then after about six months and they figured it out, the program ran automatic. I almost didn't do anything. Hmm. Mm. And, and it's interesting when you go back and you read the original manual that was written by Lord Baden-Powell and he's talking about what makes a good camp out, you know? Right. And he's like, Hey, you know, you want to plan all these great activities, you know, you know, make sure you do, you know, canoeing, you got to have a good campfire program. Here's all the great things in a campfire program. You got to have the best leadership, and then it says in the last line it says, "Oh, by the way, you know, talking about leadership, boys, don't forget to take your scoutmaster with you." <laughs> <laughs> He's not talking to the scoutmaster. He's talking <laughs> to the boys. Correct. Yeah. It was yeah. always meant to be run by them so they can learn how to make decisions early. So they can learn that leadership, Mm -hmm. learn how to um, delegate responsibilities. And so that's something that I learned there. Uh, I refined that kind of as a scoutmaster, and that's what I brought to the military, and that's how I I approached that, right? So too many times we in the military look at we're so mission-focused. We're there to accomplish a mission. Well, in the Boy Scouts, the boys are the mission, Mission. right? So when you bring that in, you say, all right, yes, we have a mission to accomplish, but don't forget about the mission of your soldiers. And Hmm. that's where the bottom line is.
2: That's awesome. I love that. Really good stuff.
3: So we're here because all of that came to a culmination, and I got really excited when we had lunch the other day. Because a civil engineer is someone who is improving the lives of others through design and implementation, be it a new bridge, a new roadway, or the, whatever it may be that might Yay. some people might find monotonous. But you have a freaking patent. Yeah, me and,
4: and
0: uh, my hold business on, partner hold and I want on, to get to hold <laughs> on what?
2: a patent. Yes, you yeah. said patent. Okay. Okay. I'm, I am very curious about this.
3: Yes. You have patent. a patent. Yes. So I want to know, before we get into what the patent is, why you felt the need, as busy as you are with as many things you take on for your family, your your company, your church, how you felt the, necessi- the necessity and the drive to create what you created. So.
0: Like you said, because it makes people's lives easier. Okay. Right? And And we're all about that. Yes, as entrepreneurs, as civil engineers, you know, we're out to make a living, but that's not why I became an engineer. I want to make a living while making people's lives easier. So um, I I had one of my clients approach me and um, he's a foundation contractor and he says, hey, we have this problem. Mm -hmm. He's like, "I, I think I have an idea how to solve it. Can you help me? So we sat down, and you know, through trial and error, and and making things on, on a workbench, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we just kind of figured out the best way to solve this unique problem, and and we figured out together. We filed the patent together, and, and so. And
3: what is the unique problem? Because I'm sporting a chubby. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's that blue origin. <laughs> no, it's not. But it uh, is pushing the desk over, Peter. So that's for you. <laughs>
0: Rust. Rust is the problem, Okay, Rust. especially here in Arizona. So we have a unique construction style. I mean, I guess it's a unique, um, it, mostly in the southwest of concrete slab on grade. Right. So if you go back east, you're going to have a crawl space under your house. Yep. Well, we're not going to have that here. There's a couple of reasons or for that. Or a basement, for that matter. Or, or a basement, yep. yeah. So the reason for that, not to get too technical... We have some of the best aggregate in the world. We have some of the best concrete in the world. So we have really good concrete that's really plentiful. You can get it anywhere. Um, to get good concrete back east, you know, you're dredging from a river or whatever. You're driving from all over the yeah. place. If you want good concrete, you know, there's all kinds of aggregate mines all over the place. Right. Yeah,
3: we just drive three miles down the road and fill our truck full of it. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: So concrete is plentiful. Mm-hmm. We have no frost line.
3: Right. Right. It's true. So, you. We have a burn line, though, for people listening. <laughs> Arizona has a burn line. Yes. Yeah. It's called 110 for 18 days straight. Yes. Uh huh.
0: So, no frost line. Mm-hmm. So, you can just put the foundation, you just throw it right out of there on the ground with concrete, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little more nuanced than that. But basically, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So, we have all these concrete foundations, and they have rebar reinforcement, they right. have rebar reinforcement and anchor bolts in them. So the anchor bolt's are to keep the house from blowing away.
4: Because we have tornadoes to every week here. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: Um, so you want to keep the house anchored, and, you know, we have some expansive soils. so you want to make sure that the foundation doesn't crack and crumble, so you got to have rebar reinforcement in it.
3: By the way, for those of you listening, we actually deliberately crack our concrete foundations for expansion, Right. Yeah, we do. Or we we saw cut them. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. expansion joints in them, yeah, Mm -hmm. purposefully, because, you know, if it's going to crack no matter what, you want to tell it where to crack. Exactly. (coughs) Yes. But so
3: teaching nature. Mm
0: -hmm. Molding it to your will. Yes, we are. That's what we're doing.
3: Mind bending through engineering. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) So you have this rebar that goes through your foundation, and your foundation is um, thicker at the edge, you know, whether it be – there's a footing there that has a stem wall on top of it, or if it's a turned down, thickened footing. Either way, suffice it to say, it's thicker at the edge where the exterior wall is, and there's Mm -hmm. rebar in there Mm -hmm. going horizontally. Uh So that rebar rusts. And when steel rusts, it expands, and so it can crack the foundation there. Mm -hmm. So what happens, you gotta chip it out, right? And then you're putting in um, either fiberglass rebar which is just as strong as steel rebar, really, hmm. uh, or epoxy-coated rebar. Because if it if it cracked there, yeah, a lot of the problems are poor grading or whatever, but some of it is just the soil mechanics okay. of, of what got that rust into the soil, or right. what got the, the moisture into the rebar to rust it, right? Right. So in replacing all these, you find these anchors mm-hmm. that are holding the wood frame construction to the foundation. Right. These anchors, you know, three-eighths, half-inch, five-eighths, whatever the engineers spec'd out, they're going to rust too. Right. And if they lose, you know, 25% of their volume, then they're no good. So you got to replace the anchors. Well, previously, the only way to replace them is you're cutting a big hole in the side of your house, either on the exterior or the interior. Mm -hmm. Exterior finishes... Extremely difficult to match. Interior finishes pretty easy to match, right. but most of the houses right now that are losing anchors, you know, were built in the '70s, early '80s, and now you got asbestos to deal with.
3: Oh yeah, of course. You know, right. Plus,
0: you know, what if you have it, you know, right where you have a built-in cabinet or whatever, or you know, right behind your kitchen cabinets, your sink. It it's a stuck mess. as a mess to match and oh, it's to a redo. Yeah, it's a mess. So, previously, it was all right. Well, we're gonna open up the wall. And we're gonna drill in. We're gonna put a new anchor in there. Probably a wedge style anchor. You know, maybe <coughs> you're gonna get fancy and you're gonna epoxy in some all thread, whatever.
3: I never thought, Kent, when I was 14 years old mm-hmm. on board in physics class, yeah, that I would be excited about a J bolt. <laughs> but I am. Doesn't
2: think much anymore, Mark.
3: Shit, it's because I'm 52. <laughs>
2: It's downhill. When are you, my age?
3: Yeah, I'll be excited about looking at a newspaper or a flat earth pamphlet from a guy with a <laughs> cap at his uh, Let me put this away real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, rally, you know. yeah. or you go
0: to a PETA rally,
3: you know? Yeah, we go to a Peter rally, yes. And Act go, like a maniac. <laughs> yeah, yes. Is that real fur? Um, so, sorry, I'm, I'm interrupting, but right. it, I mean, it, this really is fascinating. So, so,
0: to not do that, so, mm-hmm. hey, let's just not do that. Right. Um, most of the time, when you know you got a rusted out anchor, you already have rusted out rebar. So you're already chipping mm. out a portion of the foundation to replace that rebar. Right. How long does that typically take uh, it for can that? Be
2: done in, oh, like, no, like for that rust to. It
0: depends on the chemical composition of the soil. Okay. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Or the poor grading that happened, or, you know, a myriad of factors. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the houses that we're doing are from the. Mid-70s to the mid-90s. That's kind of the range right Interesting. of what's being done. Because
3: it wasn't standard practice back in the day to really compact the soil and do the seismic things and the concrete. And the the quality of concrete has changed so much. Right. You know, right. Right. Got it.
0: So if you're already exposing the foundation underneath, Mm -hmm. well, why not? Let's just put a new anchor from underneath. Mm. Not disturb any of the finishes. Well, how do you do that? Well, I don't know. So we came up with a device where, you know, it basically has a little blade toggle Mm -hmm. on the top. So you drill a hole from underneath, underneath the bottom plate. And when you slip this bolt in from underneath, the little blade falls. And then you can pull it down tight. Hmm. And then you tighten the nut to the bottom of the bottom plate.
3: I got to see the pictures. So it's like a sexy.
4: It's a straight rod. Oh, okay. Straight Straight rod. rod.
3: Okay.
0: Structural engineering side note: mm. We were using J bolts for a long time, and we thought that's that what was I was a really envisioning. Cool like idea. A, yeah. Right. Yep. J bolts—they're out of fashion. They are no longer in vogue mm. because. Like your shirt
3: can. F- <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a company shirt. I can't even argue with that. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
0: what they've determined is a much better anchor is basically you have. Two nuts and in between the two nuts, you sandwich a couple of washers. All right, that's a better anchor than a J because when you put a lot of force on the J, the J will straighten straight. right. and it'll pull right out. Mm. Interesting. Whereas if you have a, you know, something that can't straighten, you know, you mm-hmm. have you have the nuts and the washers there. Like it has the bolt has to fail, otherwise right. it's not coming out. It has it has to snap because mm-hmm. there's no way, or you have to have a concrete breakout, you know, way up. Right. So that is the new thing right so mm. we said all right well we have the straight rod we got the washers at the end the nuts and the washers on the end um now the complexity was all right well we need something that is as strong
4: mm-hmm.
0: so where what are the failure points you got that little pin that holds the blade
4: mm-hmm.
0: so that is one failure point and now you have where the pin that holds the blade got it and the area of the blade, so you only have four little spots of cross-sectional area in that bolt. So how much can that hold? Well, we needed to hold at least as much as a J-bolt. So, you know, we did a lot of research, did a lot of structural analysis, and (laughs) we had to choose, all right, well, we can't use an A36 steel pin because it doesn't even come close. So eventually we came up with the right materials, the right threaded rod, um, the right pin that will meet or exceed up to a five eighths anchor up to a three quarter inch wedge anchor. This is where he got me at lunch.
3: I was like, (laughs) 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 um,
0: three quarter inch wedge anchor embedded up to six and three quarter inch. Hmm. Okay. And, or a Simpson strap, right? So these Simpson straps that are, you know, on the either side of the garage, you know, if they rust out, okay, well, what do you do? How, how do you even fix that? That's really invasive. And so this will has the same embedment properties of that. Now, you still have to attach that bolt to the Simpson strap that is, you know, strapped, you know, 14 inches up the side of the studs, right? Mm-hmm. But you have this new embedment that's in there that it's equivalent to that, which is 5,280
3: pounds. <coughs> Just so everyone knows, I'm nodding furiously like I understand anything he just <laughs> yeah. said. So you Doing engineers get, get it get it going. Um, I'm sure this is like Hustler for you, um, which is why I wanted David to talk about it because I yeah, no, real it's
2: real world problems, man. Very interesting. So I just want to make sure I'm understanding it correctly, just so our listeners might be questioning it like I am because I'm just a surveyor, but the it's this is for repairing failing yeah. foundations. Yeah. Correct, right? Yep. It's not something that's used in a new foundation. It's something right. that is right. used. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Why isn't it used in
3: new foundations if it's so much better? Have they got a new technology in the that they're using now so it doesn't fail? Or you're already creating uh, something? Well, to
0: fix it? nowadays they have post tension. Oh, I was just going to ask yeah, you about post tension. Yeah.
3: yeah. Right. Post tension
0: slabs. They used to, but they typically now don't have the rebar around the edges of the foundation right right Mm -hmm. so they have less steel that can fail Mm -hmm. less points for moisture to get in there so we really don't see that failing nearly as much every once in a while we see them Um, but here in
3: arizona just i'm sure you're aware of it but it's an expensive upgrade on your new build even if your soil is poor, oh. mm-hmm. um, and the custom homes <coughs> to elect to do it, it it's very expensive, and it, it's it's an option. So some homes for the post yeah. okay. tension, yeah, it's not
0: as much of an option anymore. There are a lot mm. of municipalities that are requiring hey, new it. construction. Your post tension, Copy. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, I know Scottsdale's mm.
3: one and PV. Yeah, Um, but there Uh are areas where it's it's an upgrade, Mm -hmm. you know, like uh, Cortland Homes at the time. They're no longer Cortland Homes. Would be like, hey, it's an extra five grand if you want post tension. Is that because
2: it lasts longer, or it's It's more more expensive
3: to? And that's why
2: you're doing post tension.
0: Mm -hmm. You have to look at the chemical composition of that soil, exactly. Not just the physical properties of the soil, Mm -hmm. and you have to design to that because if the post tension rusts out, you got a problem. That's mm-hmm. a huge problem. That's a huge problem. Yeah. yeah, Not easy to fix. So, so like fix your
2: solution doesn't fix that.
3: No. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next solution. But, but our subdivision, um, yeah. it's probably 50-50 post-tension. And oh, like really? My next door neighbor doesn't have post-tension, but we do. And I learned this because I was putting a motorcycle stand and uh, drilling it in to post-tension. And my brother-in-law is a concrete and expansion joint. He's a journeyman. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- and that's all he does. And he's like, you're going to kill yourself, dude. <laughs> you're, that, if that thing snaps, you are going to be cut in half. I'm like, what? what are you talking about? He goes, it's post-tension. It says right here. I go, I don't know what that is. I just want to anchor my motorcycle yeah. stand so I don't run over my bike. Well, try- you
0: can. <laughs> it says do not drill, core, cut, or whatever. You can. Right. You, you definitely can. You just got but- to know where. Yeah, yeah, I'm just gonna,
3: sitting there
0: going. <laughs> but you're going to hire somebody with <laughs> ground penetrating radar <laughs> to come oh, yeah. out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And don't go off of, oh, well, I can see where the anchor is on either side of my house. No. Because those yeah. cables, they yeah. can sway. You mm. can move them. Really? So you know, they're they're you allowed you to move. You crank
2: them down, like in the ends, you're cranking down that, yeah. Oh, that tension. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. yet there could still be some float in there. Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. Wow.
0: Well, well, I mean, they move before they pour because, sure. all right, well, we need yeah. to avoid this. And, you know. You know, there's a certain tolerance mm-hmm. to how, how they can move. And, you're and the heat. Running,
3: and the yeah. we, we do a lot of post-tension drone footage of when they're pouring big houses, you know, mm-hmm. six, 7,000 square feet pads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a specific temperature they want to be at. And, and it's got nothing to do with the concrete. It's to do with the, the metal in there for the expansion and contraction. Right. Mm-hmm. So they can, I guess, their version of stamping it and saying mm-hmm. that it, it's good enough.
0: Yeah, because the more so. concrete you're pouring at once, mm-hmm. uh, that heat of hydration.
3: Oh, is Yeah. Gonna be Yeah, because that's an exothermic reaction with
0: concrete. That's why you have to use type 5 cement when you're pouring a dam. I thought
3: it was type 6 and a quarter. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. I have no freaking idea. He's just getting all fancy again. Freaking Stephen Hawking's over here. uh,
4: Jesus Christ.
2: So I guess what interests me about this is in Arizona we have a rust problem, right? Yeah. But it's, again, my my feeble surveyor or mine, I'm like, it never rains here. There's no water. How the hell can we have a rust problem? It's like mold. How can we have a mold problem in Arizona? There's not a lot of water, you know? Mm-hmm. And my Coming from the Midwest, it's like water equates to rust, water equates to mold, but that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Right?
0: Right. And same thing with termites. Termites is a termites. prevalent problem yep. here in Arizona. There are two types of houses, those who... Have termites and those that will get termites but exactly the caveat to that the good thing is termites aren 't really that destructive in arizona they 're not a big deal mm. right i've I've seen maybe two houses in the hundreds that i 've inspected that yeah man, you got a serious termite problem, and even then it 's not even that hard to fix
3: right no, you go around and drill the drill it and and put the chemical in and soak it, and you see the tubes you it's we say it in all the real estate transactions you're like you said. It's not if, it's when you're getting termites. Mm.
0: But even if you have to get up and repair some trusses or whatever. Yeah. um, But the thing is, we have subterranean termites. Mm -hmm. They have to go back down to the ground every single day. Yep. You know, if you separate them from the ground to where they can't get back down there, they're going to die. So they can't live in your house. No. They're just coming to dine on your wood for a little bit and even then they don't even like the wood that much
3: so when um, I'd get a buyer and they'd call me and go I just had a home inspection we're gonna cancel we got termites I'm like so you got wood to ground contact they're like yeah yeah uh, we can't my wife won't do it I'm like listen seller will pay for the repair because he wants to sell the house. It's a disclosure issue now. He's got to do it. Or he right. doesn't do it or he gives you a credit. But the point is, you're going to get them. It's better to know you have them. Get it treated so you don't have them. And you can live for the next five, six years because that's mm. what the warranty is. And if they pop up again, the the treatment company comes out. It's a right. good thing because you're going to get them.
0: So, so we've done a lot of termite repairs. Yeah, The most expensive termite repair we ever did was like $5,500. Oh, hmm. my gosh. Wow. I mean... Yeah. yeah, you don't want to spend five grand, but people think it's this, oh, half my house is gone. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like, no, even then, like, yeah. like four of the guys' trusses were eaten away. Wow. And we were still able to repair it for, right, for like, you know, five yeah. and some change. So it's really not that big of a deal. Yeah.
3: People that are listening to this from the back east, like, rats <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You got nothing. We got hurricanes. We got <laughs> storm drains. We got everything. But we, yeah. got, but we got the uh, rest. Yeah.
0: Hey, we, we, got got, <laughs> we have we have roof rats. We, have we do, roof rats.
3: do have roof rats. Yes. Yeah. Now, so they that's can in the be fancy. a bit of a nuisance. They're, they're only in your neighborhood where you're all fancy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we <you> have orange <laughs> trees from the 30s. Yes. Roof rats. So explain what roof rats are for the rest of the people, because we've talked about koalas and dingoes. Uh, you know, I...
2: Yes, I'm not like a roof rat expert by any means, but there are some in our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It's my understanding that, I mean, you guys probably know way more, more about this than I do, but where there's fruit trees, yep. if the fruit trees aren't managed properly, the fruit falls in the ground, all yep. of a sudden, these roof rats show up, and next thing you know, you're in the middle of the night <laughs> going on in your head, and it's a problem. Yeah, sounds yep.
3: like the, you've heard a they,
0: herd
2: of buffalo in your attic. Yeah. yeah, it does. Yep. Yes.
3: Yeah. So it's rodents. Rodents. I won't. I won't tell you the genus or the species, but it's a rodent, and they live in the roof because it's easy for them to get out of the roof because we have vents in our roofs and they can jump into the trees. It's easy for them to get the fruit yeah. and hide and they feel safe.
2: So they're like, uh, they're like desert monkeys.
3: I would agree with that. They're like <laughs> desert monkeys, but not so cute. Yes, they still look like a rat. <laughs> they're desert koalas. That's koalas, <laughs> yes.
0: Aren't javelina in the rodent family? Yes, um, they actually, absolutely
3: no, are. No, they're not. No, I think they are. They're not. Look it up. It's a collared peccary, and they're actually a land hippopotamus. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> you are full of shit.
3: Um, you're going <laughs> to eat shit in a shit. minute. Look it up. Look Wait, it up. Hold on. Collared but, peccary. What genus you, are they? How do you, how do you spell uh, collared peccary? Collared, C O, like collared greens, mofo. <laughs> Jesus. Doesn't pecker mean something else in England? No, that's a peckerhead. And oh. it's a peccary. P-E-C-C-A-R-Y. Peccary. But it, that's not even the largest rodent. No, it's not. The largest
0: rodent is in Argentina.
3: And that is... The a carpincho. Carpincho. carpincho.
0: Yeah. I you. have a carpincho leather wallet.
3: Ah, perfecto. Gracias. Si.
4: <laughs> <Sí. laughs> so, andando mucho espanol, have se have you hablo seen a poco. chupacabra?
3: Yes. I have not seen had, Four bottles of mezcal and a nasty, <laughs> nasty girl in Guadalajara.
2: Okay. Yes. Collard peccary. Pecary. The correct spelling is C-O-L-L-A-R-E-D. Collard. Yes. Peccary. collard peccary. P-E-C-C-A-R-Y. That's what I said. Okay. Peccary. Wikipedia. Okay. The collard peccary is a species of artidactyl, even toad, mm. mammal in the family... Tayasudae, found in North, Central, and South America, is the only member of the genus Dicotiles. Dicotiles? See, Dicotiles. Land hippa. They are commonly referred to as Havalinus, Haino, or Bacaro, mm-hmm. although these terms also used to describe other species in the family. The species is also known as musk hog. In Trinidad, it is commonly known as Quank. Oh, I like that word. Quank. Quank. That (laughs) is similar to another thing. I guarantee you I've never said that word before tonight. No, I
3: haven't either. Quank. I've said wank.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The only problem is
0: Wikipedia is not a source.
3: I know. They're predators. They're actually in Arizona classed as big game. Yep. And I've gone and hunted them. There is a giant peccary. Are you talking about (laughs) Blue Origin again? Good God. You always bring it back to that, don't you? Yes. So anyone else would like to do the research and and prove that it is part of the land hippos, I would appreciate it because I had this argument and I lost with my um, guide who took us out. So is a
0: a land hippo or is a rat just a tiny hippo?
3: Hmm. No, totally different uh, branch. Um, but anyway. Okay. Totally be,
0: different branch of the service. Totally. <laughs> yeah, totally different branch.
3: Of, like Army, was, Navy. Before I was rudely interrupted, it's a different branch of the genome <laughs> and the species. Now, you know there's
0: only one branch of the service, right? Coast Guard. No. Go Coast Guard. No, there's what is all it? All there is, is Army.
3: No. who ya.
0: Because there's Army. Mm-hmm. There's, there's the Navy. The Navy. Which is Water Army. <laughs>
3: Oh there, my God! I no, never this heard this, this
0: before. There's yeah. the Coast Guard, yeah. which is a law enforcement agency. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Air Force. The Air mm. Force is a corporation. Oh, okay, got it. <laughs> yeah. All right. And the Marine Corps.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, that's a cult.
0: Oh. <laughs> 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 all you got is
3: all you got is Army. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Otherwise known as cannon fodder. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Send in the I can't Army. Argue with that. Mm-hmm. I don't
1: know
2: enough about it. What else? Tell oh, you got something wait, else wait, to talk wait, about. Come wait, on.
3: Wait, 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 no, you forgot. Space Force, <gasps> space,
2: space yes. army.
0: Yes, oh. can you believe space that's
3: pirates. a real thing? The well, six branches. It of the needs military? to be
0: a real thing. Really, what the space force was is. These computer guys are way too geeky to be classified as army. We got to get all these network <laughs> analysts out of here. The guys who like get, Galaxy? Yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. it, it it's more about cyberspace. Hey, we don't we don't need you to be in. And did you hear no. what they're doing with their physical fitness tests the Space Force?
3: No. I, I haven't. I just saw the bloody ridiculous uniforms and the phasers they had.
0: They don't have an annual physical fitness test. What? It's probably mental. No. What, what is they're it? doing? Is there giving you like a tracker uh-huh. and you have to like prove that you're like running every day and working out every day. This is like Kyler Murray. So, so yeah, yeah, it's like Kyler or, Murray or, this is or, Kyler yeah. Murray thing. It he exactly. has to
2: study four hours a week. He's yeah. got a tracker.
0: Yeah. yeah. Same you, thing. You have to prove that you're working out so much every day or every week. That's how they're going to do. And they're going to like, well, we don't need a test. If you're working out all the time, we don't need a test mm. because what do you do when you have a test? and, you,
4: know, I'm, you cram. I'm guilty of this.
0: Yeah, yeah. you cram. Mm-hmm. So you don't you don't work out for like three months. and You're like, oh man, I got a PT test coming up next month. I, I guess I better you know knock the rust off and get hmm. out and you know do some laps and stuff. Yeah, we all yeah. we all do it. I mean, yeah, there's those cool CrossFit guys that are fit all the time. I'm not fit all the time. I'm sorry. Um, you look fit. I do get fit for my test. Interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. But if you're in the Space Force, that's no go. You have hmm. to work out all the time.
2: They're next level. Next level.
0: Well, they have all the, you know, ability to track all your data and everything. They're the ones spying on you. They're the ones that are, like, listening to your private conversations and then telling Facebook, hey, put this ad on this guy's phone. because Well, gonna I, I,
3: I, I told everyone, don't worry about doing that because I'm on a podcast so you can hear everything. So <laughs> it's it's public forum. Yes. Ridicule me. I'm all good with it. All right,
2: absolutely Of course
3: you are. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you wouldn't be here. I know. So uh, back to what's so amazing. You're an engineer. And can't, you can't cr- get over you, this. You, you <laughs> have a patent. So all the engineers out there, please respond to this and tell us if you too have a patent. Because I'm sure some of you are bored doing cistern improvements for a subdivision. <laughs> yeah. Right. right.
2: What is that process yeah. like? Getting a patent. Yeah. Is it a or long, drawn-out affair? I mean, I envision it easy. being that. Did you no, pay an attorney? Easy. You
3: yeah. paid a patent attorney.
2: Yeah, yeah of course.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really. Well, so... You, first you get your, you know, provisional patent, you know, right. that's why you see patent pending all the time, mm-hmm. right? And then you have to prove use. Hey, hey, I'm using this. And then within a year, oh, you have to file for your utility patent and all of that. So
3: utility you, as in the usefulness of it. Right, right. Not, and not, then, right. Okay. you know,
0: I had to produce all the drawings and calculations and all that. And that goes to the patent office. And they're probably mm. going to look at it. And they're probably going to reject it the first time and say, no, we're not going to issue you a full patent, hmm. and then you go back and forth, and then, you know, you have to— How long to, did it take? Uh, started working on it last year. Holy yeah. crap. Wow, that was fast. It is pretty fast. Um, but we don't have the full patent issued yet, still yep. in patent pending, until the patent office accepts it. That can be a little longer, but you're protected while you're oh, in course. that process. Right, right. And, you know, but only—a patent is only as good as your willingness to defend it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So if, you, if you're not going to defend your patent, mm-hmm. then don't don't get the patent. What do you mean
2: by defending your patent? Like what
3: does that people, look like? When people Go start copying, copying you, it. you got to sue like them. Like the Chinese. Mm.
2: Yeah. Yes. Um, have you ever thought about going on Shark Tank?
0: Thought about it a little bit, but Shark Tank, here's the thing. I've watched a lot of Shark Tank. I love, I love, I love Shark that Tank. show. You know, I saw something really sad, though. Mark Cuban, Lifetime has a negative return on his Shark Tank. I saw a video about that not too long ago. Yeah, Yeah. if you combine all of them. There's a lot that he's made a lot of money on, but Lifetime, he has a negative return on him. That's sad. Mm -hmm. He's one of my favorite sharks. I think he's pretty good. Yeah. The big question I I have for you,
3: the biggest question of all, how much does your invention save people Forget the fact mm. it's destructive and tears the shit out of the houses, which which is a saving in time and emotion and all the rest of it. But what is it truly, what is the true financial benefit to someone listening to this that says, I need to call and buy these bolts?
0: It, it's probably about 30%. Oh, my gosh. Mm. So it saves you about
4: 70%. So if you've got wow. two,
3: two areas that are rusted and you've got two other areas to do or however, however many there are in their, their house, is it your advice that? It's going to eventually happen. Just do it all at once. Get it out of the way or what? Uh,
0: yeah, that's, that's hard. It's kind of a judgment call, right? Mm-hmm. So if I have one rusted anchor, mm-hmm. I'm probably not chipping that thing out. Mm. Right. And replacing it. Um, there's got to be a couple in a row. There's got to be some rusted rebar. Mm-hmm. Mostly this is, hey, you had a rusted rebar. And when we exposed it, we found you had four bad anchors. Mm. Right. So if you. You know, really by building code, those, those have to be replaced if mm-hmm. they're compromised. So an inspector can come out and can fail you on mm-hmm. your, I mean, yeah, you're supposed to be getting permits if you're doing foundation work. Right. Right. So you get your permit, you go out there, you chip it all out, you put in the new rebar, you get a call for your inspection. They're going to come look at your rebar, look at your anchors, make sure everything's good. If they're like, hey, these three anchors, you got to replace them. Well, now you're spending probably 300 a piece Mm. by the time you have it demoed you get the new anchor installed you get all the finishes repaired whereas um these anchors are a hundred dollars a piece
3: holy crap that's a that's that's a huge saving here i am as a neophyte thinking this is forty thousand dollars yeah plus my house time 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 is that so you can't
0: do a finish all in one whack no if you're a contractor you got several visits. You're coming out all the time. You have all kinds of other inspections if you're opening up the exterior mm-hmm. of of the right. wall. Okay, well now I have to have a separate waterproofing <laughs> inspection, and I got to mm-hmm. get an engineer or a special inspector to come out and do a special inspection certificate. All of that. This you have one special inspection at the end when all your anchors are in and mm-hmm. your rebar is in, as opposed to you know several different ones. And so it it's. Yes, it is a cost savings in the actual execution of the anchor replacement, but it's also a cost savings with inspections and the logistics of it. Um, that's why, you know, I, I hate finish work because all right, well I gotta put up the dry one, I gotta tape the dry one, then I gotta sand it, and then I gotta come back a couple hours later or the next day and sand it again and then tape it again and then mud it again. And then i'm putting the texture on after that all dries like yeah a simple wall patch is like a five-day process right if
3: Mm -hmm. you know
0: and if it's a small job man that's really annoying because you know with gas and you know windshield time got it yeah it's so
3: you are basically the flex seal of anchor bolts.
0: We are the Flex Seal of anchor bolts. I'm going to put that on our website. We're you the should. Flex Seal of anchor
3: bolts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Now we
4: get <laughs> by I mean, it,
3: Flex Seal. Yeah, how, how many how many guys really take a perfectly good fishing boat, cut a freaking hole in it, put a screen door on it, and then paint it with Flex Seal? I mean, you're a freaking
4: retard, seriously.
3: Hey, let me see if this works, yeah. 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 So Flex Seal enough. is good. I, I,
0: like I, it. I, I love use it all the time, yeah.
1: yeah.
3: And the same with that tape. That you put oh, around yeah, yeah. wrap around yeah. a leak. I look at it and go, Yeah, why would I go and get uh, for, spend fifteen dollars on this really cool colored tape yeah. just to seal it up when I can spend fifteen dollars on a new hose pipe? <laughs> right? I'm like, it's economies of scale. I mean, seriously. Well
0: that was a shark tank product. I know. And that it's, is yeah. why they got a negative return on their uh, I know, interesting. I, know, interesting.
3: Okay, know.
0: I do have a question for you though. So like this
2: application is everything we've talked about is about foundations. Mm-hmm. Can it be used for like concrete beams as well? Or yeah. is it strictly for like a foundation? Well what it is type thing?
0: is it is an anchor with a structural rating of five thousand two hundred
3: and eighty pounds. Per so get, anchor. You can really use sorry, it anyway. How did you get this 280? That was the fail rate. 5,280. So Is this like the Australian thing with 20? No. That's also
2: how many feet are in a
3: mile, just FYI.
0: So between mm. the Simpson strap. Coincidence? And so
3: <laughs> between the, the Homer strap.
0: <laughs> between uh, the Simpson strap, the mm. wedge anchor, and the J-bolt, okay. the Simpson strap has the highest. Sounds
2: like a Saturday night at Mark Taylor's house. <laughs>
3: Kent, like, please, stop. You're embarrassing I me. I get to see
0: him at the kitchen table. He has a j-bolt <laughs> leaning up against the glass. How are you, Mr. J-bolt, this evening? He's got a little top hat on. He's this bro- broadcast
3: hands. is sponsored by Garrison Brothers. Yes, bourbon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's funny. So Okay, so th- uh, 5,280 pounds. That's not PSI, that's pounds. Right. Is that per square inch or per millimeter or per... Um, Just pitch? Pound, pounds per anchor, right? Per pounds per anchor. So okay. that's what
0: the Simpson is. That was the highest of the three. So mm-hmm. I said, all right, well, I want to be a direct replacement for all three. So uh, that's what I'm going to design to. Copy. Genius. And, man, it took a lot of work to get there, you know, using, you know, the different – we had to order threaded rod of a different material of what you're normally getting, and the pin had to be a certain, you know, material and all that. So that's what we designed around, so that's why it's, you know – it passes with like a 0.998 mm. where where one is failing it was a 0.998 so it, it just barely passed at that by the time we got everything right. you know calculated so cool. we designed to that number that's what we call out then
2: so let me ask you this <clears throat> again my surveyor mine remember when the uh the condo collapsed in Florida. Uh, Florida. I got a
0: lot of calls after that. Okay. But when that happened, <laughs> you
2: know, there's a ton of pictures of like these rusted out rebars, like mm-hmm. penetrating through the concrete and stuff like that.
0: Does your solution have anything to do with something like that? No. Um, but I looked at that report. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I Googled it and, and found it because they had done an engineer's report like two years earlier. Yep. Two years earlier. Yep. Yeah. And um, that engineer was pretty much spot on. And he was like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you you have compromised columns here. You have all that. Now, a structure that big. Is that kind of like past the point of no return at that point? Like there's
2: massive repairs that need to be done. Yeah, Yeah.
0: because they had massive rusting. And when you see a crack on your foundation, Mm -hmm. you already know your rebar is toast under there. It's failed. Right. Right. And so, if that rebar has failed, you know how deep does that failure go? You don't know. And so, apparently, it was pretty deep in this case. And just seeing the areas that different that failed and how they tied in to one another. So you had some of the decking that was failed, and that decking provides a diaphragm which helps stiffen the columns. And then, in addition, the columns, you know, had failed. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, let's not. Uh, Get into the World Trade Center and like, collapsing <laughs> the World Trade Center. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, so, oh, we'll have them back for that one. So, yeah. so the World Trade Center. But I would love to no, have that we're conversation. Not talking
3: about, yeah, yeah. We we talked about frequencies, and I had a materials scientist. I was fascinated when on this DOD job I did, and he was talking about the shard in England and the the frequency. The reason the panels were failing and decapitating pedestrians as the glass fell off of it was because they didn't realize that the smaller projects, when you four times it, it didn't four times the frequency. it 40 times the frequency, so the stress the bolts were under were actually shotgunning the nuts off. They were shearing wow. just because of the sheer pressure, but the materials Crazy. were wrong for that size of project. Mm. And I'm like, wow, you're smiling about this. He goes, well, that's what I'm trained in. I, I knew mm. that this percentage of vanadium with this on this amount of structure on this size of building creates this frequency, and therefore you've got five years instead of 50 years. I'm like, dude, you're a geek. He goes, yes, I am. <laughs> and I was like looking at him going, I think he's pleasuring himself right now because that, that expression is not a good expression in the middle of the desert. No. <laughs> that had to be a Zoom meeting. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> I, was, I was in person. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Makes it nice. all the more awkward. Uh, yeah, it's all. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it, it was super awkward. Yes. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but
0: back to the World Trade Center, I will say one thing. Okay. For all the conspiracy theorists out there, whatever. There, there, there's a lot of things to look at, but I will, just like the earth is flat in spots, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So if you're going to design a building, a high rise in New York City, mm-hmm. and you're going to say, all right, if this building fails... What do I want it to do? Do I want it to fall over Hmm. or do I want it to collapse?
3: Yeah. You want it to collapse on itself. You
0: want it to collapse on itself. You're Mm going to intentionally design it to where if we have a catastrophic failure, it's going to come straight down. Mm -hmm. That's all. All I I don't need to get into it, but I will just say that that is one important point. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. That's interesting.
0: I can't argue with it. Mm -hmm. Right. I can't argue with it. And it was it was an Argentine architect, actually, mm. that designed the World Trade Center. And he had all of the structure tied to the center of it. Right? Mm-hmm. So if the center failed, you had a catastrophic failure across the whole thing, you know, as as opposed to, you know, out to the edges of the corners or whatever. But all the all the stress was at the center of that building. Mm. Um and then Here's the last rant. As an engineer, I have problems. Not that you have a conspiracy theory about it. Just that some of the things, some of the arguments are so far off base that I have a hard time listening to anything. But so certain arguments. So if you want to bring a valid argument, I will listen to any argument. But they say, oh, well, you know, fuel burns at this temperature and steel melts at this temperature. Yep. Steel does not need okay. to melt to fail, correct yep. it just needs to just slightly deflect,
2: yep deflect,
0: yep, and the whole thing will fail All right. anyways well, yep, well in
2: like <clears throat> what's enlightening to me about what you just said is that. I, I am definitely, I fall in the conspiracy theorist category, no doubt. I like to question everything. Mm-hmm. But something that you said that just really light bulb went off is the fact that an engineer can design, or an architect, whatever, I guess it's an engineer in this case, can design a building that if there is failure, that it will, it, they can design it to fall straight out. Right. Versus toppling over.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And they said, well, it looked like a demolition. Well, it was designed to fall like a demolition it was designed to fail like a mm, demolition right believe it or not you can
2: well no, it makes sense
0: now when you talk Science about is real too <laughs> <laughs> when you talk about building seven i don't have a great answer for that they had a new report though that that had some interesting uh facts about that where um, they said, well, the fire there wasn't hot enough for it to, you know, fail either, but that was the same <coughs> thing. And they're like, all right, well, the fire wasn't hot enough to really affect it all that much, but the way that building was designed, too, by the steel expanding and contracting in very key spots, they say that's what made it fail.
2: Yeah, that one was pretty weird.
0: I'm, hmm. I'm, And they say that's why it failed, like, so much I have no idea longer after, and all yeah. these things. I don't I'm not Send that good that of a structural Israel. engineer to Inferno where. Is <laughs>
2: <fake>. <laughs> but you love this stuff, right?
0: I, oh, I do. Yeah. 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 But I, I can't, like, say, yeah, uh, that's <coughs> definitively correct. And I was like, well, that's an interesting idea. I have enough knowledge to say that that makes sense to me, but I don't have enough knowledge to do the calculation. So right. if you're telling me you did the calculation and that's the way it works out, like, yeah, if you're going to be a conspiracy theorist, unless you understand the math, you have to either trust that person to do the math correctly or not.
3: 34, 66, 80, 75, <laughs> <Lotto numbers. laughs> oh, <Jay-millions. laughs> Number four. Oh,
2: my God. This guy oh, now crazy. you're messing with my head. Does this podcast have a safe word?
3: I was, Dude, I was just <laughs> going to say cumquat. Because <laughs> that is my safe word.
0: <laughs> really? Okay. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. You know what cumquat is in Spanish?
3: Enlighten me. <laughs> Como se dice?
0: Nispera. Nispera? Nispera. Nispera.
2: Ni. Niis para. Ni's.
3: Claro. Gracias. Niis niis
2: para. Ni's para.
3: I got this. Yeah, I'm uh, next time I'm banging a Mexican shaker, i like, <laughs> ni's para, <laughs> nis para. she would be like, mas papi, mas papi. No, no. <laughs> ni's para, ni's para. Yeah, yeah that's going to be super confusing. Sorry, April, my love of my life. Oh, yes. good
2: Lord. What else? You guys got anything else you want to talk about? No,
3: we're good. Man, that was a, that was a ton of fun. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: David, David, what'd you think? You want to come back sometime? I definitely do. It was a blast, right? You want to we, have me back We have so though. much to talk about. We got to talk about Loch Ness Monster. We got to talk about Bigfoot. Yep. Oh, Srasquatch. so much to talk about. Yeah.
3: Sasquatch and Bigfoot are completely different, just you know. They're a different genus.
2: Wait, let's play the best song ever.
0: Yes.
3: <clears throat> what is this? We, so we got
2: to talk about this sometime, too. The whole oh, yeah. fact that Freebird's the best song ever. No. Top no, five. No, best
0: rock and roll Best song. rock
2: and roll song ever. Top yeah. five for me, for sure. But uh, anyways... If, if you're still with us thanks for listening that was a lot of fun yep um, and until next time everybody uh, as usual be safe and healthy and we uh, we hope you'll join us again
3: look forward to it guys thank you thanks hey. David it was hey. a blast thanks, David yep
2: Thank you to our 2022 friends of the program, Advanced Geodetic Survey, agsgps.com, Airworks, airworks airworks.io, badelf, bad-elf.com, Cyanic Automation, getjobbook.com, Diamondback Land Surveying, diamondbacklandsurveying.com, Extreme Aerial Productions, productions Productions.com. Get kids into survey, get kids into mentoring Mondays, Mentoring Mondays. XYZ, Monson Engineering, MonsonEngineering.com, Nettleman LC Prep, LCprep.com, Northstar Surveying, Northstar Prostar Corporation, ProStarCorp.com, SafetyApparel, Safety Apparel, SafetyApparel.us, Topodot new.certainty3d.com, and finally, Trimble Geospatial, geospatial.trimble.com.